As far as where do I fall politically or whatever? Mm-hmm. Fake anarchist, duh. I was hoping that you would come in. <laughs> Perfect. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? Hey, connect. <laughs> uh, so we actually um, had a had a recap about BitConnect um, before Theo Goodman uh, ta- uh, gave his talk. Um, and, and by the way, Theo highly covered Bitcoins. And, and bit and Bitcoin crops and all that. So I was like, I was like, I thought it was funny that the month before we had you talk about, you know, uh, g- general blockchain stuff, and then also, you know, some of the, the project that you're working on, like briefly. And then we mm-hmm. had Theo come in and then primarily talk about that. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, no, the- Theo Goodman is is um, an expert Bitcoiner. But I was trying to do an intro there, Michael. So this will be like the preview for the content that's to come as if there was this, it almost is like, like, you know how there's, you listen to podcasts and they give you a preview of like what's to come. That's what that was. But the real intro is that uh, unconfirmed transactions is back. Don't call it a comeback. Um, one of the things I was thinking about, I'm, anyways, I'm Danny Anderson. I should introduce myself. I've been, I've been away. Uh, the SoundCloud's been quiet. It's, um, the fog of war has lifted, though, and, and now we look around and we see that Bitcoin has won. The, oh, I mean, Bitcoin Cash has won, right? Michael, which one won? Uh, Bitcoin Cash is still the real Bitcoin Cash. Oh, thank you for laying that up, Michael. Um, so I'm here with Michael Tidwell. I'm Dan Anderson, and we are going to do a little, what I'm going to call it a bit sesh. What do you think about that as a name? A bit sesh. Bit sesh today with guest Michael Tidwell, who might be a reoccurring guest. Whoa, <laughs> yikes! Look at this negotiation skills he's got. I can't say no now. Oh, can I say no? Am I allowed to say no? Uh, you can tell me whatever you would like. Uh, <laughs> I will listen. I, I try to listen. I'm trying to be an open minded person. Um, yeah. well, you've, you've basically ruined the intro five times, anyways, but um. I see we we didn't we need to discuss a little bit more. We'll, we'll formalize and normalize the intro throughout many episodes, right? That's how it works. <laughs> okay, so this is the bit sesh. You know why I'm calling it that is because um my wife she listens to this podcast called Bitch Sesh, and so I thought <laughs> I thought that this could be like the bit sesh. Um, hashtag bitch please. It. Oh, oh, I, I see where we're. I see, I see where you went with that. 
Uh, and what, and, and what, that's BCHPLS, or is that uh, yes. how, how do you spell that? Um, it's 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 a uh, hashtag agnostic, so it could be BTC uh, BTC please or BCH please. It's agnostic in that way. So what you're saying is we need like a really really hot girl um, in a tight shirt to to do that hashtag for us when when we. <laughs> Advertise no, it or no, 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 it's a, it's agnostic in that way as well because it, it could also be an oversized man like um, with large breasts as well. Oh, so, Junseth could be our mascot, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't want to say his name, but it was who I was picturing. <laughs> I, I mean, I picture Junseth regularly. Uh, we can Ooh. talk about that later though. So uh, I'm glad that I had a chance to catch you. We are spending our Friday night together. It's 11 p.m. because we're just, you know, that kind of Bitcoin. <laughs> Yikes. Like, did you- yeah, we, we search far and wide to find friends. And um, I'm, I'm glad we found each other, Dan. I mean, ooh, oh, thank you. This is what this is what this is what people this is what Bitcoiners do uh, at 11 p.m. on a Friday night. <laughs> we, talk Bitcoin. we talk Bitcoin all, all day, every day. Um, let me see here. I actually made some notes and it, it didn't sound like it. If you're listening to this and thank you, if you are listening to this, um, so this is, we're bringing back the unconfirmed transactions. This is a bit sesh. There's going to be more, more content to come. And, um, Michael, one of the things that, like I want to talk about is, um, you describe yourself as a proof of work, proof of existence enthusiast. That's your, that's your Twitter bio right now. You know, it's funny. I changed that. I changed that. Uh, like two, like two yesterday, two days ago. So, thank you for noticing. Yeah, I, I have alerts set up. Don't worry about it. Um, and what? And the question I wanted to, because I want to, I do want to get serious and kind of talk about some of these things. Because there's a lot of things that I think you have interesting perspectives on. And one of the ones I want to get out of you, just from the get-go, to get really into it, is um. What is the difference between proof of work and proof of ex- existence? Are they separate concepts or are they like, does one build on the other? Uh, that's a good question. I would say uh, just in terms of definition, proof of work for me is capturing the fact that you've done arbitrary work on your computer through hashes. Um, proof of existence is... And again, this is like Tidwell's definition <clears throat> is uh, pretty pretty much piggybacking off that proof of work and and being able to embed stuff into that. Uh, granted, the proof of work is making this kind of mutable ledger. Uh, proof of existence, putting uh, arbitrary data, usually hashes, uh, into that ledger and then proving when it existed. So. I think that's interesting. Uh, obviously, you know, I do that. I, I, I decided to join Tyrion because I think that's interesting. So, well, so one of the things that's, uh, I would, and this is, this isn't fully formed as an idea or whatever, but like I was thinking about with like proof of work and proof of existence. Um, what's funny with proof of work is like it proves that you like expended energy or whatever, right? Can sure. we agree on that? Yeah. However, like nobody is like worried about like where that energy's at. You know, like no one's like 
know, with the proof of existence seems different in that, like, there's this proof, but there's also this thing you're proving somewhere else that you, that's that may or may not still exist, but like, there's a good chance it does exist. But like, with proof of work, like, you're proving something like, you know, like, what am I trying to say? Like, um, it's you're, you're proving. Well, you're you're essentially uh, finding vanity hashes. <laughs> so you're 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 you're, uh, you're proving that you had enough uh, computational energy. Uh, who knows how long it took you to find it? But I mean, you have guarantees that it started at a certain date because you know usually with proof of work, it's associated with having a uh, input that you won't know until a certain time. That would be the previous block. So. I don't know if, if we're detracting from what you're where you're going, but no, no. I mean, I it's it was just like I mean, I just want to uh, go off of this Twitter bio and just see where it goes. But like, uh, like I'm thinking proof of work. It seems because I'm thinking like with proof of work, we have like this hash, and it has to have a certain number of leading zeros, and that's how difficulty is like levered up and levered down. Uh, I think that's pretty well understood, especially by the people that be listening to this podcast. Um, but in a vacuum, if you just have one of those hashes, like you don't really have much value. Like it seems like the chain of those is a big deal, but with proof of existence, right? Like there's not necessarily like a chain. It's, it's more like you're proving something once with proof of work. It's like, you kind of prove things like over and over and over again and kind of build and build and build. Whereas proof of work is sort of like proof of existence is almost like a one-off thing. Maybe that's the difference. Like one's a continuum and one's like a yeah. point in time. Yeah. So, so that's interesting. You know, you know, what's funny is um, Daniel Kravitz and I don't necessarily watch all this stuff, but, but the stuff I do watch kind of sticks with me for some reason. Are you thinking uh, about the episode where he goes, yes, look at all these zeros. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah. But, but, but it's, it's kind of true. So, so for instance, if you're in a, so his, his, his analogy was, which I, I do like actually, because most people talk about the Byzantine fault, uh, Byzantine generals problem in a certain way. That they, but, but indirectly he was, he was talking about the Byzantines general problem and the Byzantine fault tolerant kind of consensus. And, and pretty much if you're in a bunker and you have, you know, no communications outside world, but somehow you're, you know, maybe you have like a messenger come in with like, these these sheets of paper or you know some kind of some kind of you know computer to say hey look look at these hashes or something and you have one guy that comes in that that has um you know information of this hash with you know let's say 10 leading zeros and then you have someone else that has the hash with like 20 leading zeros and it's like you know the same kind of information but slightly different well it's it's likely that the one with 20 leading zeros is is more correct because that was, that's like, you know, how many ever times a X amount of magnitude times harder to find. So, so that is interesting. Um, obviously when you, when you start chaining those things together and, you know, I, I mean, I would say these things are very correlated and inter, you know, interrelated. I mean, you can't really have one without the other, I, I think is what you're kind of getting at. But, but as far as like point in time, um, I think inherently all this proof of work stuff kind of has like implied proof of existence kind of baked into it. So I think when you're really, cause like every Bitcoin transaction and every block and everything is, 
kind of like proof of existence. But really, when you start talking about proof of existence, you're really talking about, um, in my opinion, taking some kind of arbitrary data that is outside of the protocol um, of like a transaction or some kind of normal data and and proving it existed. Um, I don't know. So. <clears throat> okay. And, and you know what it makes me think about is... Um... This the question of like what are we proving, um, and do you remember um, on Twitter there was this kind of a weird discussion with you and Luke Jr. recently? It wasn't like yesterday, but about like what does a digital signature prove? Oh my god, dude, that <laughs> that was so fun. Yeah. Like Luke is so religious, but not like in the Catholic way as well. Like he is, he's he's religious in all ways. You know what I? You know what I think he is. I found I I discovered a new word today. I bring this up only ex- almost just to show you this new word. Ready for this? I think that Luke was being punctilious. Oh my God! Okay. Uh, punctilious. Can you hear that? That's like a one of those pronunciation things. <laughs> punctilious. Punctilious. Uh, you mean you mean what it means? Showing great attention to detail or correct behavior. Oh, like yeah, yeah. Okay, because, I, because uh, for the people, I can see the Latin roots in there. For the people who were not seeing this, this these tweets, basically, um, Michael was looking for a way, I believe, to um, sign a message with a certain type of Bitcoin address. Is that right? Yeah, I can I can give a little bit of background, but you can. Yeah. It's not necessarily interesting. I mean, but you the, covered but the, it. The, the, the TLDR was that, and uh, basically. Uh, Luke Jr. kept doubling down on this very specific, like, the point of those is this specific thing. And it was mainly that, like, if somebody signs a message with a Bitcoin address, it's, like, sort of, like, agreeing to some future payment or some future contract of payment or something like that. Like, I'm I'm willing to accept payment to this address or something something like that. Um, It was weird. But I only bring that up to just introduce to the audience and to you the word. Punctilious. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but uh, but but that conversation. I don't know if you're following it because I think you just kind of you you airdropped in and said whatever. I, I think that was your response to Luke Dash Jr. and then you kind of left the conversation. But I think we 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 got really deep in it and and finally Luke was saying, look. Even if you own the private key, it doesn't mean you own the Bitcoin. And to that point, I was just like, holy shit, dude. Oh, okay. And, and, and or it doesn't prove identity. I think that's what he, he was saying. And, and, and I think the reason he was saying that, um, and this is my theory, is because let's say Craig Wright has a private key from either the Genesis or Block One. I, it wasn't very clear if, if, uh, if he signed a message with the Genesis or block one, or, you know, at least supposedly did that. Um, I think he was saying that because that wouldn't, that doesn't necessarily prove that you're uh, like Satoshi Nakamoto. That doesn't prove who you are. Cause that private key could be owned by like many people or shared or something. So I also think he was getting like really, really, really like this doesn't prove identity because anyone could have that private key and, mm-hmm. Anyone could uh, digital signatures don't prove anything because because, uh, you know, like man in the middle kind of signing, you know, 
Yeah. Well, that's why he was being punctilious is because he was correct in the most technical sense. But like, I kind of oh, get so it. Technical. Yeah. I kind of get it in a in a in a in an, an analogy that popped into my head would be like it, it it is the case that if you're in like the driver's seat of a car and you have the keys, it doesn't really prove that like you own that car. But you that's do, true. But you do possess that's a good that, analogy. But you do possess that car. <laughs> yeah, and, and and I don't necessarily trying to. I don't think he was trying to make the argument that uh that you you can't move those bitcoins or whatever or you know, etc. I think he was really getting to the point of it doesn't prove that, like you said, like you own the car or that uh, you have the lease or you know whatever. So, but I, I would say that that was a stupid argument, and I don't know why. Because in Bitcoin land and blockchain land, if you have the private keys of like an unspent transaction output, then by definition you're the owner. And I think I think it's kind of dumb uh, not to say that. And I don't necessarily think he was making that point. I think he was more, getting more anal of the idea of identity um, because I was I was trying to. Do you know? Obviously, he was like, "So, what are you trying to do? Digital signature for it?" I think it was. Uh, I think I said like, you know, authentication or or something like that. And yeah, I think he was trying to say that it was stupid. It's not good for that. It's bad yeah. for that. Yeah. And, and, and I'm like, know, I'm like, that's how like. We know that everything blockchain land is is stupid. We've established this. <laughs> I mean, you spend like you know five years here, and you start learning like. Smart people don't really exist. It's just people who work hard and then like and then like have like network effect of people that believe they're smart. It's like no one's actually smart. It's just there's certain people that obviously, you know, let's say, yeah, they, they know math better, they 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 know cryptography better, they have better experience and yada yada. But everyone in here's smart. I'm not trying to say one person's not, you know, smart, but yeah. I think a lot of people get idolized and I think it's kind of on false pretense. Well, this is interesting. Um, I, this kind of re- leads into some of my, my uh, other um, diligent notes and it's about your approach to Twitter. Um, I remember we were hanging out and you were saying something where you like to be like the spark where like you'll ask like a question that like maybe or may or may not be like correct or like, you know, it's technically very, you know, the correct thing. But you, the, I've been seeing you posting like, on Twitter and like, You'll get like Peter Woola to like reply to you, <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I know what you just said is that no one's smart, but like, he seems like a pretty smart guy to me. Well, you, you know, what's funny is after talking to people in Telegram and Twitter, I, I feel really stupid. But, um, uh, but thank you. I'll take it. Thank you. I don't feel like I complimented you. <laughs> I don't remember. I'm sorry. I thought, I thought you did. I wasn't listening. <laughs> I don't remember complimenting you, but you can take it. <laughs> I, I, so the funny part is, is I'm so dumb. I wasn't, I, or I, I, maybe I just have a pro. I have, I have uh, issues paying attention. So I thought you, uh, I thought you were saying who was really smart. Were you saying Pierre Wigley was smart? This, I think, I think you know what it is, Michael. I think you're just such a pretty man that you just assume that when people are talking to you, they're complimenting you. Like, <laughs> you're, you're, you're like, you're like a. You're like a blonde, but like you're not a blonde, but like your your spirit animal is a blonde. You're like a golden retriever, but in a good way. Now I'm complimenting you in a backhanded I, way. I, I just assume when anyone <laughs> ever talks shit about me, they're just jealous. I, I just that, that's automatically what I assume. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, 
Wow. Now I'm all riled up. Um, <laughs> let's take let's Dude. let's take a let's take a commercial break, and that's where I just take a second to tell people about one eight eight OK Coins. So when I do, did my podcast, um, it's almost like three years coming up on three years since my first episode. Um, I had a call in number, and I'm bringing it back. Unsurprisingly, or I guess surprisingly, the the number was available. No one else scooped in and swept swept it up, but one eight eight OK coins. If you call that number, it goes right to voicemail. And you can leave a message, and you can ask any question you want, or say anything you want, or you can be anonymous. You can identify yourself, and um, I will review those, and they might show up on the upcoming shows. So check it out. One eight eight OK coins. All right, that was a, that was the word from our sponsors. Now I feel like we've reset, and um, my jimmies are less wrestled. Um, What's, what does it mean when your jimmies are less wrestled? What does that mean? You don't know what it means to have your jimmies wrestled, bro. Dude, I'm from the south. I'm not from. I'm not a Yankee. Sorry. Okay. I, I'll, this that that just became like the the image of this episode. But there's like a very popular meme of someone getting their jimmies wrestled, and it's sort of just like. Um, like shakingly mad or like, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know. I think that's what it means. If you see the meme, you'll get it. If I can't explain the meme, you have to experience the meme. Enter the meme. That's the next podcast episode. Enter the meme. That's fresh. <laughs> I, had to, I had to look it up because I, I remember I remember you had a lot of things on that <laughs> yeah well that so was interesting pretty- because um one of the the the, the timing of that song so long because oh wow if you have not listened to every single podcast episode I did like Michael has there's so little context there's, like, you need context but um I made this phone number and people called in, but to promote it, I paid a guy on Fiverr to make me a jingle. And it's sort of like a gangster rap jingle, but I gave him different pieces of news that were happening at the time. And one of the pieces of news at the time was when Bitfinex was hacked. Do you remember when Bitfinex was hacked? I can't remember the, what year was that? Was that, um, wasn't that long ago? It must've been like a year and a half. 2016. Yeah. But basically, like, Bitfinex was hacked with, like, 100,000 Bitcoins, maybe 120,000 Bitcoins. And um, that's when they created their equity token thing. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, and then they actually, <clears throat> like, everyone thought it was going to uh, it was gonna be, like, a sham. And uh, I, I, yeah, I remember. I, I mean, I, I, I guess it worked and no one was mad. I, I didn't seem, I don't remember seeing any court cases about it. Yeah, no, they they paid back. They they pretty much uh, it worked out for them. So, put a token on it. Yeah, there's a um, there's a Portlandia sketch. Do you ever watch Portlandia? Oh my god, so good. Yes. And there's that one where they put a bird on everything. A bird? Yeah, they, a oh, bird. Man. A bird. Uh, yeah. So I haven't, I haven't watched. I've, I watched like maybe five or six episodes. That's not one of them. All right. Well, I will send you that other long form video meme. Um, I want to talk more about what you do in Atlanta because I don't think 
as many people um, as you think know what you do in Atlanta. Because I was surprised. I went there recently um, to a meetup that you run. Um, you and the, your organizers, co-organizers there invited me down. And I talked about kind of party. Um, but what I was surprised by is just how many people were there for I, I, in my mind, like the only place in the world is New York City and everywhere else is just like a suburb of New York City. So I'm always surprised when other places have any sort of activity. <laughs> but tell I me mean, that's, about- that's understandable. I mean, New York City is just so damn massive. I mean, it's, it's hard to compare. So, I mean, you're not necessarily incorrect. But what you what you do there in, in Atlanta is you, you have a meetup. Uh, that you have some other and there's other people involved too so i don't want to just say like it's just michael's meetup but like there's other people involved too and you involved with a the bitcoin embassy there which is also a joint effort so can you just speak to some of those things for the audience sure let me let me do my formal introduction so um so yeah so founder of something called tab which is the atlanta blockchain and uh, I, I want to say it's like the biggest meetup group in the world, but there's probably like five or six groups in like China alone that are might be bigger. Who knows? And then uh, New York, maybe we'll have a meetup every once in a while or San Francisco might have a meetup every once in a while that's bigger. I don't know. But um, it's one of the biggest meetup groups. So if you're if you're in Atlanta, Google the Atlanta blockchain or you'll find us on meetup if if we're running one while you're here. So it's it's a gr- it's a good group of people you usually have between anywhere between 1 and 300 people show up I, like it really depends on like the weather the price the traffic so many variables but um i mean there's like when when the price was like at $17,000 we had like almost 600 RSVP for that meetup so it was a pretty you know some of these meetups get really big um as far as the bitcoin embassy goes um, you know, it's, it's weird because it's like, um, it's kind of weird because I'm not necessarily a Bitcoin cash fan. I don't necessarily hate it. Like a lot of, you know, maximalists, uh, I'm kind of like impartial to some extent, but it, it's almost like, uh, somewhat Bitcoin cashy, especially because, uh, Jeffrey Tucker is one of the uh, co-founders and he's big on Bitcoin cash because he likes the idea of, just you know being able to send money and bigger blocks because that's like a simple solution in his opinion which isn't necessarily wrong but one of our main sponsors of the bitcoin embassy is bitcoin.com um you know roger veer's company so it's a little weird but i think you know there's a lot of people that come in there that like bitcoin cash there's a lot of people that come in there that just like bitcoin and i think it's for everyone so uh yeah I, I, I like I like I like that spot. It's it's interesting to me that that, that you had to like uh, hedge so much of that uh, in your explanation because I was there and I I was really impressed. Like it's it's like a nice space and um, if I mean if with I mean if there were if it wasn't there there'd be nothing <laughs> and you know like you need to get funding where you can get funding and it's a great resource. Um, what was kind of crazy to me is like as like a sort of um what is it what would we call it it's like a validation of its like usefulness like when when i was there with you for just for like the day um when we were going there like there was people there like <laughs> I, there were just people there like <laughs> it was crazy to me um 
that they were just like you can just go to the embassy and there are people there. If if somebody wanted to visit the Atlanta Bitcoin embassy, would could they just show up or would is there something that they should call somebody or email or text or how does that work? So you can you can make like you can actually make an appointment. Uh, you can just Google Atlanta Bitcoin Embassy, schedule an appointment just to make sure someone's there. Um, if you want to come, otherwise you're kind of rolling the dice. Uh, we might be out to launch. We might not. We just might all be working from home and not show up. Um, but as long as one person is, as long as one person is there, um, uh, it's it's in a WeWork, so you can just say like, "Hey, I'm here for the Atlanta Bitcoin Embassy," and then it will page us like, "Hey, this person." Uh, is here to see you. And then we can go downstairs, grab you and bring you upstairs uh, to the embassy. So um, it has the flexibility of the, of a, like a normal WeWork, and, uh, and that, that makes it convenient because the security people can like check people in and all that. So we're not just like having complete strangers walk up and uh, steal our Bitcoins. And what's the vision or the resources there? Cause I mean, I know when I was there, there's like an, there's an ATM there. Um, and you also, are you doing education there too? Like what, what's the vision and the resources that you know are available there? So we haven't really done a whole lot of educational classes there yet. Um, I think what will probably end up happening as far as education is a uh, small group like workshops since it's a, uh, you know, not necessarily a place where you can have like 30 people all be on a computer um it's probably going to be like more intimate like you know maybe eight people like we're all like doing something specific like hey today we're gonna uh you know that node that we set up from last time uh we're gonna you know do some queer we're gonna query it and i'm gonna show you how you can connect another app to it and you know uh set up like a username password when you when you query it and yada yada so it'll probably be used for more stuff like that and uh as far as the ATM, we have a pretty interesting ATM because it can um, it can take in U.S. dollars and also spit out U.S. dollars. Uh, so you can sell cryptocurrency and buy cryptocurrency there. Um, and that ATM sells, you know, several different cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Dash, Ethereum, all that, you know, all the stuff. So um and it it only charges 5%, which is really, really good for an ATM. Because usually ATMs do like anywhere between 8 to 20% in Atlanta. And you, and I think the average is somewhere between 10 and 15. Yeah, no, that it's it's definitely um, a low fee compared to other industry standards. Um, let's see. Because I thought, I mean, that that was, I think that's a pretty good overview of what's going on there. If anyone's interested, you should totally reach out to Michael and spam him. His email is michael <laughs> at tidwell.com. There you go. Is, uh, that, is, is, that a, is that a real email? <laughs> is that not a real email? No, I think, I think someone, some ass already, already got tidwell.com, so I wasn't able to get it. I don't think I'll ever be able to own anderson.com. There's too many of us. It's like buying Smith.com or like Brown.com or something like that. You just have to wait. You just have to wait for it to expire. Be that guy to click it right at the right time on GoDaddy. I have Danson.org though, so like I am institutional. <laughs> institutional. Maybe I should do that. Maybe <laughs> I should like buy Michael Tidwell dot like something random. Like do a Gavin where I'm like Michael Tidwell dot Ninja or something weird. Hey, yeah. speaking about. Uh, domain names. I think it was kind of funny. Uh, there, people were talking about. You know how Chris. I, I, you know, to be honest, I have no idea really what's going on with Chris. I have to like. 
like every uh, DeRose, every like month or so, uh, it's something new. And it's in this month, it's uh, it's Bitcoin needs a message or something with Bitcoin Core. To be honest, I don't really know what's going on. But but the funny part was uh, there's all these there's these websites that are popping up. Uh, one's called Bitcoin Core dot org and then the other one's called the bitcoin core.org and then i was like saying you know what they really need is the real bitcoin core.org and then someone <laughs> bought it uh like <laughs> like like five minutes later i thought that was yeah. funny <laughs> that's how, that's that's how domaining works you get you fomo in <laughs> yeah Oh man! Ever since I met you, I've I've been I've been uh, I've had a bad habit of buying a bunch of domain names. I, mean, I think I'm up to like twenty or thirty now. Okay, nice. Yeah, I, I think I think right now I own a hundred and eighty, something like that. So I mean, pretty much every single month you're getting hit with like twenty and thirty dollar renewal charges, right? Like yeah, multiple. I mean, uh, it's like two thousand dollars a year to renew. Like, like everything, yeah, it's like ten bucks, ten bucks a year per domain. So if I have two hundred, see, I I think the problem because I'm just now getting to the point where some of my domains are expiring. And I'm choosing not to renew them because like the renewal cost is like thirty bucks or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm doing it wrong because I'm buying it like one year at a time versus you're probably doing like four and five years at a time. No. Uh, not really. Um, some of them, I, some of them I will, I'll renew for like five or 10 years at a time, but it's usually if like, I definitely know I I'm going to use it. So like droplister.com and stuff like that. Or sometimes I, I actually, this is a funny thing that domainers do, but say somebody contacts me to buy a domain name from me and I give them a price and they tell me like, I'm an asshole. Right. Fucking buy it for longer. (laughs) Yeah. That's like, that's like step one. Step one is to like renew it for like five years. <laughs> because often, because often what will happen is like uh, somebody will be interested in your domain and they'll see that it's about to expire and they'll be sitting there waiting to see if you let it go. And then when you don't, that's when the email comes. So that's uh... very frequent. That's like a, that's so, like a very common pattern. I told you, I told you about my my favorite my my uh, my hot pickup I got recently. Maybe I don't know. Bitcoin Bitcoin sixty four dot com. Oh no, I like that one. Yeah, just because I just because I liked N sixty four though. I don't. Yeah, know. I was thinking <laughs> the same thing. I was like, I was like, oh, you know, Nintendo sixty four, Bitcoin sixty four. It just makes sense. This is where all the games will be played. On Bitcoin, on that website. I thought it was more about like a Bitcoin where there's 64 validators and they're all voted for. <sighs> Dude, yeah, you're right. That could also be a fork where I could just fork EOS, call it Bitcoin 64, where instead of 21 validators, we have 64. Perfect. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if you took the, this is a stupid idea, but, uh, if you took like the Bitcoin code base and you took the Ethereum code base, I wonder how many steps it would take to refactor one to look like the other. Is is Ethereum written? I've actually never looked at 
the Ethereum code base. Is it written in C++? I don't know. It's probably written in spaghetti. <laughs> I mean, if it's if, if you're just talking about combining uh, Ethereum and, uh, and, and Bitcoin, and dude, oh my God, I brought this up like today and yesterday in the Ethereum Plus channel, and, and everyone apparently hates the idea of sidechains and drivechain, but I think you would just start a new fork that, that just includes sidechains and then just try to tack on the Ethereum code base as a sidechain to try to make like a, the least amount of friction as possible if you're going to um, try to combine those projects. You'd, you'd probably start a, you'd probably start like a Bitcoin uh, fork that also included the drive chain logic mm-hmm. from the get go. And then you would just tack on, a, try to tack on a Ethereum or something. I don't know. It probably it's probably a lot harder than it than it sounds, but maybe maybe that would be one approach. Well, with the regards to side chains, like I have a hard time discussing them now um, because I, I I was I did because I don't really follow Ethereum, so I was really like blindsided when all of a sudden they like m- multiple projects like resoundly announced that they had like solved side chains, um, and now that's just like another part of their ecosystem, which is like cool, but like. Um, I've I it side changes like block changes like which blockchain do you mean which side chain do you mean you know so like the implementation of the side chain matters and if often like when you ask people that declare they've made a side chain like where the code is it's generally closed source or like not yet available or um, almost always it's uh, some sort of federated setup which is um, fine that that might be the only way side chains can exist but um, just the thing in the thing in my head that I think about that excites me about side chains is the drive chain implementation because it doesn't seem like a federated setup. Um, and it's, yeah, are it's, you talking about like a RSK versus like drive chain idea? Because um, <clears throat> I think RSK is pretty much a federated right now. Because you know, before you came into town, uh, RSK came into town and they talked about this and. What they they actually reference drive chain and saying, look, we we want we're going to do a federated idea, but the idea is to use drive chain when it's available. And I'm like, holy shit, you actually think it's going to be available? Like the way people talk about this shit, it's like I don't know if it's ever going to be available. But uh, you know, whatever, you know, I don't know, it might be. But uh, I thought it was I thought it was interesting that they actually brought that up in their presentation. Yeah, I haven't. I've never hear, heard anything like that. But um, in my head exists a drive chain that is sort of held together by like um, the economic incentives, basically. Um, sort of like the same way Bitcoin kind of like keeps moving forward through like economic incentives, basically, um, rather than sort of semi-trusted intermediary layer of federated nodes um but that might be a pipe dream but it's like i think the the thing to aim for um when when i started um learning about drive chain you know i go through periods because paul's been pushing it for so long i go through periods where i'm more knowledgeable and less knowledgeable about it because uh it's just it's so much to to take in if you're not actually uh, kind of reviewing it every so often. So I'll like, I'll, I'll learn about it. And then three or four months later, I'll kind of forget about it. But, um, it was at least one point in time, it was like my belief, like saying, uh, 
Bitcoin can actually scale without making bigger blocks as long as we do, you know, lightning network and, and drive chains. I think we can scale for the whole world kind of. Um, I don't know. So that was that was my kind of like Eureka, like, oh, shit, we don't actually have to raise uh, block size. And I kind of remember, I think Vortex liked that tweet. Uh, I know that was a long time ago, but I just for some reason remember that. Hey, Dan, I want to say one thing before we go too far off this topic. Uh, Ethereum, and, and we should have remembered this, Ethereum, uh, the main implementation is written in Go. And that's why it's probably also called Geth, like G-Ethereum, where it's probably like Go-Ethereum. So that's probably where Geth gets its name. So I just wanted to say, I just want to say that. Yeah, well, I'm de- I, definitely, I definitely don't claim to be an Ethereum expert. Um, there's only so many things you can like really you ever, know about, you know. Have you ever made a ERC twenty token just for fun? No, I have not. <clears throat> so when when Ethereum wasn't like really popular and everyone was doing ICOs, you could uh you could easily run the Ethereum blockchain like on your laptop, and you could experiment with it. You know, that's when like Ethereum was like you know five six bucks whatever. And, and, you know, you could, you could spend a little bit of money, like, you know, 10 cents or whatever, and, and do a couple smart contracts, make like a, a token, call it, you know, like Dan coin, whatever, and like give it to, you know, other people. That's like back when I thought like, oh, Ethereum's interesting. Like I'm going to, I'm going to play around with it. That was like, you know, 2016, maybe I, I, I can't remember, but, um, but, uh, Dude, now if you try to do that, you'd have to like run a server and it's like a big pain in the ass and running like the Ethereum blockchain on your laptop's a little bit impractical now unless you probably unless you do some kind of weird like pruning something or another. I'm not really sure cuz uh it's getting to the point now where the the verification time on Ethereum is 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 making it where you have to be running like, you know, SSDs and and a pretty pretty powerful computer to to keep up and then stay sync. Uh, at least this is my experience and and other people I've talked to. So, well, personally, I don't, I don't, I don't run most of the stuff that we're talking about on my laptop. I usually said, I usually do like development stuff in the cloud even. No, even, even if you run, uh, even if you run in the cloud, there's, there's still issues with uh, staying synced with Ethereum. So I, I wouldn't want to even imagine running on your laptop now is what I'm saying. Unless you had something oh, sure, on, yeah. like real light client of it. Well, they, 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 they uh, <laughs> I really don't care to like bash on Ethereum that hard. I really don't care anymore. But like there, there is like a trend. There's like a between Ethereum and Bitcoin. It's like there's a border and over that border, all the technical terms get translated and they have different meaning meanings on either side of the border. So side chains need something different. Um, what a light client is means something different. <laughs> what a full node is means something different. Which is so. Fine. Are you were but, you saying were you saying that Ethereum, uh, they're they're purporting they're using sidechains now? I haven't actually been keeping up. Is that is that oh, what they're sure, doing? Yeah. Sure, there's a bunch of projects that are sidechains now on Ethereum, and they and they very very well may be, but. Um, a lot of times, it just looks like a server with an API that they're calling a sidechain. 
Well, I mean, it's like what, like everything that's decentralized, a lot of the cool ideas or ideas that are being used on Ethereum are actually like lightly using Ethereum and not really as decentralized as people think. And even the stuff like, uh, like crypto kitties is like, it's completely centralized about around the creation of the crypto kitties. Right. So, yeah, I guess, I guess a good number of these smart contracts, um, have within them emergency halt code. Yeah. Joe, uh, Looney pointed that out to me the other day. Were, mm-hmm. were you yep. the same? Is that where you heard that from? Yeah, I don't want to get too much into it because I, I he's gonna come on the bit sesh and talk about it soon. But um, oh. I but the question I have about that is like, and I guess I'll get into it with Joe more closely. Is uh, it seems like a misrepresentation um, to say you're a decentralized project and also know that you have like a big red button. Yeah, I don't really think like uh, there's too but many really truly decentralized uh, projects going on in yeah. Ethereum. To be honest, like I think uh, the decentralized part of it is it's running on Ethereum, and Ethereum is purportedly decentralized. So I think that's really the that's about it. All right, Michael. Um, how about Lightning? And this maybe maybe one maybe the last topic I got I might need to go in a little bit, um, but lightning. So I've been looking at lightning, and I have some concerns about it. And I'm I'm not ready to declare it the solution, um, because it's not proven itself uh, yet to me. I don't know. Does that make sense? That's my position. It's like I'm not sold on it yet. Well, like that's, I'm sold on it, but I'm not. I'm not like. I, mean, I, think, all it's, in I think it's a safe. I think it's a safe. Uh, I'm hedging. Uh, <laughs> I'm still. Hedging. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's. I think it's a safe kind of statement because it might completely shit the bed, as like you know, kind of. You know, maybe like fundamentals are flawed somehow, and. Yeah, you know, but but I mean, I'm I'm actually a pretty good fan of Lightning. I I, I really like uh, toying around with it so far, so. Yeah, it, it just it, it needs it needs to it doesn't it doesn't have the network effect yet, and I still don't see how it will get the network effect. Basically, yeah, like TBD I on that. I I can't remember who I was talking to about this, but I was like um, explaining to someone. I think it was probably like someone in the embassy. Uh, what how I think how I see lightning really taking off. Uh, in the near term is uh, you're going to have really the merchants be the ones to accept lightning payments and um, you're going to have your Bitcoin and then you're also going to have like your spend, your spend Bitcoin. You're like, this is my spend account. And that's going to be like with your wallet that also has like uh, lightning features or or has like the lightning channel set up uh, uh, capability. And then, for the merchant that accepts lightning, you can very like cheaply and freely instantly pay these people. But in order to accept the lightning payments like peer to peer, I think that's going to be down the road and, and going to take a lot more time. But I think as far as, you know, just the idea of spending lightning uh, for, you know, online people who accept it or, you know, whatever merchants in person, whatever it might be, I think that's going to mm-hmm. be that capability 
is already here and that capability is going to, you know, take off a lot quicker. Um, but right what, now, if you want to accept lightning, the idea of just spending, mm-hmm. as long as someone can accept a lightning payment, it's easy. It's easy to spend. Uh, you can, you can do that pretty easily on like your phone and without, without much risk. It's the idea of, uh, accepting in my opinion that, um, uh, is going to take a uh, longer. That's going to, that's going to require more robust kind of solutions. It, you know, mm-hmm. as far as like, you know, Dan Anderson and Michael Tidwell just, you know, sending money back and forth as easy as a Bitcoin payment. So if, if you were, uh, like a, a normal average Joe lightning user, like whatever the, whatever the average or median user of a lightning network was, um, how many channels do you think you would have open? One or two. Just one or two? Yeah. Why only just one or two? Um, because <clears throat> the one that you're the one that you're probably gonna connect to first is gonna be the app default. So, for instance, if you use uh, a popular, like one of the most popular Lightning apps on your phone right now, is Eclair, and the company running that is like AsyncQ or something, ACINQ. And um, if you connect to them, it's going to be likely that their node is well connected and a lot of people are connected to them, et cetera, et cetera. Like you're going to be able to connect to the entire network. But you might also have one more channel open like to Samson Mao's, you know, node or, or someone else's node just in case their node goes offline or has some kind of liquidity problem at that <clears throat> point in time. Uh, where maybe it would route uh, to another node. So, and you don't so need more than that. Having like more, say again. And you don't need more than that because you can route through those channels to more than the say, people you open them with. Yeah, I would say you're you're you start quickly diminishing uh, the usefulness of channels uh, for like the average person uh, when you start going more than two. In my opinion. Um, now if, if like, for instance, and, you're running a node and I'm running a node, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're running a node and I know for sure, I want to be doing a lot of business with your store, then yeah, I, I'd, I would open up a, a straight channel with you. Uh, because over the course of a year, I'll, I know, like, let's say I open up like some crazy long channel or something, or I know I want to be doing like a thousand transaction micro transactions with you a day. Well, yeah, then maybe I'll set up a channel with you directly. And then I won't have to worry about hopping around the network. I can just go straight to you. Um, so I think it really just depends. But for the average person, I think uh, one or two channels will be fine. And that and that's because they can route through those channels and get <laughs> to the wider network, right? Like beyond yeah. that. Okay. And yeah, so- but it's, it's mainly it's mainly for. Uh, in case, in case, uh, if if that node goes down that you're connected to, you're you're screwed. So if you would have to open up another channel, and you're not able to, you know, and if if you realize that node is down right when you need to make a payment, then you have to open up a channel, and then you have to wait. And then if 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 someone is if someone's expecting an immediate, instant kind of confirmation payment, and you just found out the channel you're connected to is bad, then <clears throat> You kind of like it's like uh, 
it's like it's like your credit card doesn't work for you know that's you know whatever it's whatever analogy you want to come up with it's like uh it's kind of kind of crappy you can't you have no means to pay for that short amount of time so so like the average user of one or two uh channels um because if you open like basically <laughs> every n plus one channel you open requires you to commit some amount of capital right yep and every so every channel you have to lock up uh some amount of bitcoin so that's why you might as a user optimize for the fewest number of channels right Yep. And that's why you're most likely at least you're going to, you're probably going to want to be connected to at least one really reliable, well-connected node. And then uh, the like nodes. Okay. So we're going to see users naturally wanting the fewest number of channels with the largest hubs, right? Yep. I would say, okay. I would say that that sounds about right. Yeah. And how many of these hubs do you think will exist? Um, do you do you see it like? I mean, and this is hard to say at this point because like networks are weird. But um, is it a winner takes all market? No, because I don't. I don't think it, I don't think it's a winner takes all market. Um, simply because I I think it's going to be. Um, I think there's going to be enough services and enough, you know, major players that that get into this space that say, "Hey, look, if you, you know, want to uh 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 you know, set up your node software or or set up your wallet software, here's, you know, here's the channel that's going to open." I think there's going to be enough competition there to to make it where there's many hubs. It's not just going to be like, you know, 1 2 3 or 4, you know, you know, 10 whatever. It might it might end up being like several dozen very, very big hubs. Uh, and then you might have like a tertiary, you know, like another couple hundred hubs that are, you know, really big too. And then that's pretty much it. And then it's like, why would I connect to this guy? He only has like, you know, 50 channels open when I can connect to this other guy who has like a thousand channels open. But I think there's going to be enough of those like thousand channels where it's like, it's not just going to be like through one person, you know? Yeah. In my mind, um, Dozens of large hubs sounds high. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think I think it's gonna. I think like every wallet will have like a big hub. Every like good wallet will have a good hub. I would say, at least at the minimum. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, you have to think about it. Like, why doesn't everyone run like a Visa equivalent payment network? Well, it's because, you know, maybe the law doesn't let you. If if you have like a permissionless, like I can start like a payment network, I think you're going to have a lot more people do it. And, you know, when I create a service, I want to advertise my my node and you can connect directly to it. I think there's going to be more opportunities for uh, a little bit more decentralization than maybe what we see today with like, oh, you have to go through like this payment network, like whether it be like PayPal or Visa, I don't, I don't really necessarily know the infrastructure landscape too well, but I, I could imagine, you know, there being a lot less choices for yeah. payments well, now. I, I, the way I, I think about it is like, and I don't know, I don't know what I'm talking about, but like, it seems like, it seems like maybe right now it's pretty level playing field and you'll have sort of like ham radio 
um, you know, operators or whatever, but like, there's going to be like large brands. And I, and I think about these hubs existing sort of like as banks in a way, um, or like Western unions in a way where they're, they exist. Like you go to them because they have the ability to get your money to everywhere you need it. Um, that's kind of like what the benefit of connecting to a large hub would be is like, you can get, they can get your money across the network where you need it. Um, but unlike banks in Western union, like everything's denominated in BTC, you know? And so it's in, so we have one currency instead of multiple currencies. So like in the real world, we have, you know, different currencies, different locations, <clears throat> but with this stuff, it's like one currency, global internet. And so I think the winners could be like very large winners, basically. Um, yeah. I'd, I, I mean, I'd also say that uh, the, the other big difference is, I mean, kind of going back to my point of like permissionlessness is, you know, Western Union doesn't have like open source code to say, hey, if you want to run Western Union, uh, just spin up like a four CPU, eight gigabyte server and you can run, you know, <laughs> Western Union. And I, I think that's also going to help as far as like, uh, you know, make it where it's not completely just captured by the, the you know, that market, you know, those big winners aren't just going to completely be able to dominate completely. And I'm not really, I'm not really versed on what kind of law, you know, protects like a Western union, if, if at all, I'm not, I'm not necessarily sure, but uh, I would imagine there's something there with regulation that would, that would uh, stifle them. And I'm really curious to know what you think is going to happen with regulation in the lightning network space, if any, what, what do you think? Regulation in the lightning space. Um, do, you think, do you think anything will happen there? I think, I think it's a really interesting question in this in, if you're in if you're routing lightning payments, right? Like if you're running a Bitcoin node, um, you may be broadcasting or making available data about transactions, but you're not a party to those transactions. Whereas in the lightning network, if you're like involving yourselves in that that route um, or that channel you're like a party to that transaction. And so that's a really weird question um, that I, I, but I don't know anything beyond that. It's just like, that stands out as like a question. Um, and the other thing I was just thinking about is like, we were talking about like opening channels. So for, for these micro payments, that's where you're going to have like maybe the most incentive to have the least number of channels because like you're not going to want to open up like a $10, $20 channel like for every time you want to spend a penny, right? Sure. There? Okay. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. So no, sorry, but I just, my, my, I was worried that my battery was running when I died. <laughs> but the, um, so, but for these, cause the, so I can see those people using hubs. But then the hubs as parties to every transaction, they, they become like surveillance hubs as well. They have like, they have like very, wouldn't they be able to see a lot of what's going on or would they just be like blindly routing it? How does that work? Well, if you're, so 
I, I mean, you're asking a good question. Are you talking about like uh, if if you're routing? So let's say there's like four people involved in a route, and you're paying like Alice is paying Bob, but like Charlie and and Dave are in the middle. It's like does Charlie and Dave know all the information? Is that what you're asking? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. To be honest, I am not 100 percent sure. Like, because it might be where. Like, let's say it's like, let's say it's like this. So it's like Alice to Bob to Charlie to Dave and Alice is paying Dave. So if Alice, you know, it, it might be where Charlie is really only interacting with Bob and Dave because he's like in the middle and he might not really know much about Alice, if that makes sense. But I'm not, um, I'm not confident enough to... Mm-hmm make that assertion completely but i think i think there are aspects where the people in the middle don't necessarily know about uh the people at the at the ends they just have to make sure that they're not getting screwed by other clearing houses in the middle kind of like because they're just locking up escrow here making sure okay well i'll make sure if i get some kind of guarantee that i'll get paid here so i um i think i also saw something that kind of read like that whereas if, if you had like nodes a through Z and like they were sending a transaction through all, all the letters of the alphabet. Um, if you had so like, like a 23, a 25 hop payment. Yeah. Is what you're saying. If, yeah. if you were, if you were in the middle, if you were like, I don't know, M you would only see like L and N for example. Okay. Um, I think, I, I think it's that I've seen that, but, um, and so, that's one question is like the, the privacy uh, cl- there because there's claims about it's more private because it's not globally broadcasted. But if, if the incentive of the network is to create hubs that are like a party to a great deal of the transactions, um, that's weird to me. It's like, but then if people are aware of that, that might start creating demand for privacy so you would you would want to maybe like prefer routing through smaller ones but then you'll pay more for that because um you'll have to open more channels probably to achieve that and then that will so i i kind of see it like maybe the cheap transactions going through these hubs the most and then the larger transactions being more over the counter and sort of like niche but like higher fee and stuff like that does this kind of seem reasonable yeah, I um I kind of see and I'm not sure if this is possible um given the nature of lightning or or if you can verify this. I'll I'll put it that way. If you can verify this. But um I'm almost wondering if you can have an isolated network and verify that it's isolated and not have a secret channel that isn't broadcasted to the network. So in other words, you have a complete isolation like let's say um Michael and Dan, uh, and then like 20 of our friends, we're going to create like a little lightning network between just us. And this was going to be just a very private network. But um, one of the people in our, in our network is Theo Goodman. And Theo is a sneaky bastard. And he actually has a channel open with like some, you know, random person that is then connected to the entire network. And then maybe when you, um, maybe Theo is is routing networks to our to our internal network that we thought from like the outside, and we're not the wiser. I wonder if that's 
verify if, if you can detect that. I don't, I don't know. But um, mm. I think there's probably going to be this idea of like smaller lightning networks that are like isolated, that are like more private, mm-hmm. like exclusive, like, you know, Illuminati kind of networks, you know, like the Dan and Michael networks. And then there's going to be or like, like a, or like a lightning network cache. A lightning network, what? Like a fork of the lightning network on Bitcoin. I don't know what that means. So you have the lightning network, right? Yeah. Maybe I update the protocol to have like a prefix that's different from lightning, but it's oh, the same okay. code. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. It's just like inter, uh, incompatible lightning software. Yeah, that's that's actually that makes more sense. That would probably be how it how it's done. But if it's using a similar protocol, I wonder if uh, you'd be able to do something malicious and connect them. But that that seems less likely when when you talk about it that way. And you know, honestly, uh, Dryja, uh, you know, Thad Dryja or whatever his name is, uh, the guy with Poon that originally started uh, the white paper mm. on the. Um, his lit AF, uh, version of lightning is not compatible with, compatible with LND and all the stuff that's happening with like C lightning and stuff. So, um, I don't think he's on the bolt protocol at, at all. And I think that would be maybe like kind of closer to what you're talking about as far as like, uh, that. So yeah, well, we'll check this out though. Like, say, say, say you say say you, your business model is to become the 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 largest hub, like to be the Google or whatever, or like the the JP Morgan or the Chase Bank. Probably Chase Manhattan Bank is probably more what it's like. Um, but like, say you want to be that for the Lightning Network, and you're like doing pretty good at it. Do you think there might be a way to at that point to um, solidify? your position you might do this kind of a lightning fork and maybe like all the people that are sort of like in your network you make it easy for them to just like hop on over <laughs> but but it's like a lot harder for the people you leave behind now to like <laughs> uh, so so you're, you're you're saying like uh like will an irc versus telegram or a, an irc versus slack happen where it's like irc is maybe for more you know developer kind of hacker people and everyone else uses like, you know, easier to use interfaces. Is that what you're saying? No, maybe like what I'm saying is like, you say you have like a, a nice hub and you're like, you're, you're making a nice profit on fees. Okay. Okay. Um, but you decide that we're going to make an incompatible, like lightning network fork. And the reason, and, but like we're, we're going to do and, 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 this and, is the guy and, who's already on top. Maybe, but maybe, maybe it's like a very competitive space, and like you gotta do something crazy, or um, or maybe they, okay. maybe, maybe he's on top, but like this is like the way to like crush competitors, um, okay. for, where like you fork it or whatever. And and I, I'm this is like super like I have no idea if it's possible, but let's say you like for whatever reason you're able to take your your hub from Lightning Network version A to Lightning Network version B. And mm-hmm. the reason you would do that is it would be to like basically to bleed Lightning Network A of its liquidity, because if you, if everyone's on the same Lightning Network, um, yes, that would be good. But like if you're a competitor, right, and your hub's existence on that network would would be helping your competitors in a way, 
And if you, they would be like kind of bleeding value from your network in a way, probably they might have like, they might be part of your network. Um, um, I, I would say that if that was going to happen, um, you would almost have to have over 50% of the of the users using your wallet and then you would have to do like an upgrade where you're like upgrading everyone's client over to like this new version and yeah. and then pretty much uh you know people you know if you if people are more incentivized to then join network b because now you just took like most of the users over to network b and now i can't route to mm-hmm. any of these people or something I mean, I think it would have to be something where like some some implementation of Lightning um, has like, you know, a majority and then it decides to make that change. I think that's that that would have to be kind of like the use case maybe for that to yeah. happen. Well, I'm just thinking about it because like we saw Roger Ver, who it seems like he had every incentive to just like chill, but like he didn't. <laughs> um so I could I don't I don't know what it would look like, and this is like an example of like what it might look like just off the top of my head. But like that's something I think about. And the other thing yeah, I like, think about is there's um there's like three or four different implementations of Lightning, and like they're written in different languages and stuff. Um, and I, I don't I don't think that's gonna last personally. It seems like people will eventually converge on like a preferred. Um, almost like how there's like. Bitcoin D runs like 95% of all the nodes is what you're getting at. Yeah. But it seems like they're kind of like all playing kind of nice right now. But I've, I was reading some articles that were saying that like part of the issues on the network right now is like, they can't agree on like a standardized, like error message types. So like if you're trying to route payments, you might fail for like reasons that are just related to the fact that they don't like talk to each other in like the same language of, in terms of just like, how, what what what, yeah, what yeah, errors mean? Like, what, what's the, what are the semantic meanings of each error, and how should we re- respond to them? Well, I mean, so much for the bolt, bolt protocol that everyone agreed on. Then, I guess. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they might just be edge cases that need to be fixed. It's early. It's early days. I'm just saying, these are just all the things that I think about when I think about the Lightning Network, and that's what makes me like hedge everything about it. Um, yeah. If that makes sense. Well, hey, just to just to also because uh, you brought up some interesting topics, I I would say if let's say the Bitcoin.com wallet was used by ninety five percent of all the users, and I don't know what the percent was of people who actually use it. Let's say like in actuality, it was like five percent or something, ten percent. Who knows? Um, but if if they had like ninety five percent, and then like Roger Veer you know, was like really pushing Bitcoin cash and everyone's using that wallet. I think that would have like a lot more influence to be honest, uh, because it's like, uh, Oh, okay. This is the, this is like an upgrade, you know, kind of a deal versus, you know, I think, I think it's almost kind of dangerous for, for, uh, a main, like, you know, client provider to, to have, um, you know, such a dominant, uh, you know, market share, which, which is almost kind of funny because then it's like, well, is, is Bitcoin core with Bitcoin D dangerous because they own like 95% of everyone <laughs> running a node? I don't know. Maybe, maybe yeah. using that same logic, 
Or maybe you could say like, well, it's different because that's like the, the core of everything. So the core of everything has to be the same, but then all these kind of other things can be like, you know, different and the implementations of the client can be different, but the core software running the nodes has to, you know, you can always make exceptions, but um, if you want to be a purist all, all through and through, then maybe um, like lib Bitcoin should be run more and not Bitcoin, you know, whatever, all these other implementations of Bitcoin should be run more. I don't know. Hmm. Um, well, I think the incentives but, are a little different um, the actors in those different situations, whether it's like um, maintaining code versus maintaining like a company, the incentives might be different of those actors. Maybe I don't know. That's just what pops in my head. The other thing I want to say real quick is um, I think what we were just talking about and like the, in these weird ideas where we don't really know anything, but we're like talking about it. Like we might <laughs> um, yeah. is that I think the model that we were just, operating under is that the hubs would be like hubs would be companies that bring their own money and just become to, to some degree they bring capital to the table but then like it becomes sort of like a um two-sided thing where it's like they're the big capital in the middle but they, they are surrounded by other people's capital that they can like they're not custodial of like a lot of people's money basically they have their own you know nest egg but like mostly what they provide is the routing or whatever and like the network. But um, imagine like a cash app or a Coinbase decides to be like, you know, enter the lightning network. They're interesting because they're custodial. So they would just be like this huge node and they would have, they would have all the money and it, it, does this make sense the difference what i'm trying to explain like um like sort of like an organic hub which is like um there's a lot of participants but like they control their money versus a hub where it's like basically one it's like pretty much like coinbase to another exchange is, is, is what you're saying yeah basically stuff like that yeah yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think it would make sense for everyone to use Lightning, including, like, for instance, if I'm sending my Bitcoin from, uh, we'll just say, from Coinbase to Bittrex, and let's just say that uh, Coinbase and Bittrex have a channel open with each other, then it would be maybe kind of cool to send my Bitcoin to Bittrex immediately, and I can see that maybe happening. Uh, and well. the other, the other, the other elephant in the room, I think, is like transaction fees are like a penny right now yeah like this is this is like uh this is the time you know but but this is also uh a good thing dan because this is this is this is a good time to open up a bunch of channels and close a bunch of channels without fucking paying five dollars every time you experiment so uh i i don't know i i think i think cheap channels and 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 uh, I, I don't know. It's it's kind of weird because I, I see I know what you're saying. Like, why do we even need this? Because you know transactions are cheap again. But I think it's maybe just a matter of time before transaction fees go up again. I don't know. But no, I, I could no. I, I'm not saying I don't see why we need it. I could see why. I mean, there's a bunch of reasons I think Lightning Network's really cool. I really do. But um, it's the software is like one very large component, but like the incentives and like 
um, like what would like what will the top topology of that network look like over time? Um, and right now it might be kind of like flat, um, but like what does it start looking like when it's not so flat? And you mean? Well, I have a theory that you you know he, how you brought up Facebook. Mm-hmm. So imagine like uh, a, a hub, you know, with good reliability and reputation starts charging zero Satoshi to route through it. And that's like your, you know, Facebook, you know, Facebook doesn't charge you to use Facebook, but they'll, they'll like, you know, send you ads and they'll, they'll buy, you know, stuff like that. I think what's maybe going to happen is these nodes are going to be, uh, we'll, we'll choose, you know, free as like, you know, they won't actually charge you. And then you'll be more likely to connect to this very, very well connected Facebook type node that will then just sell your data. <laughs> like you don't really have any of the privacy that maybe you thought you did, but maybe they'll try to use like some kind of like maybe not chain analysis, but maybe like some like chain analysis mixed in with the routing information that they know to also uh, sell your information to people who might be interested in that data. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, I saw someone on Twitter mention um, the possibility of, I, th- I think they call them negative fees, but he just meant that, like, nodes Ooh. might pay people to route through them because they want that. They just, you might pay a small amount to somebody to route through you if you if it gave you an advantage in terms of, like, um, the size of your network or maybe you just needed more liquidity or whatever. You might have goals such that you might actually pay people to route through you. Wow, you you took my idea and fucking... Well, it's not my idea, but... Well, no, you you took what I was thinking about and you just, like, completely went one step further. Yeah, I mean, I, that, that that's a lot more interesting. I never even thought about the, a negative fee idea. Um, I'm not sure if any implementation of Lightning currently supports a negative fee, but that's that's very interesting. I guess I guess technically it would. It would just have to... Well, there might be something... Kind of, I mean, if you're, if you're... There's... If you're coming yeah. through... You just kind Dude, of burn I, some of your liquidity in, in the middle. You just start. I don't um, know exactly how it would work, but I think, I think it would be like, say I wanted to send $100 to you, and um, I was going to do it through this node that had negative fees, right? I, yeah, would, the- I, would, I would send $99, but you would receive 100 Yeah, but I'm not really sure exactly... Well, yeah, yeah. I guess I guess it would have to be like a no- but see, I think that would that would cause you to have to receive because you couldn't use like the same HTLC. You would have to also be in a position to receive bitcoins. Uh and that that gets to another problem cuz then you have to run infrastructure to accept payments on Lightning. So it, I think it gets a little bit more complicated, but it's I'm interesting. Sure it's more complicated. Yeah, there there's yeah way more smarter people in regards to lightning than us but i think i think what people will find interesting with this conversation is what i found interesting with this conversation is is running through the different thought experiments and because we were we're so dumb we didn't get too bogged down in like the the absolute what, what was the word of the day pump a dump the perfunctorous it was, it was, it was a peculiar <laughs> whatever it was i don't think i don't think we're on it (laughs) but because we weren't that we were able to um gloss over like a big i hope it helped people think about it in a a different way because um i don't know i don't see people talking about it um 
too much. I see people, I see a lot of the lightning stuff that comes out. I mean, I do see people talking about it at meetups, like development meetups, but even then it's over my head. Remember we were at that bit dev? It was way over my head. Have you, have you tried anything with lightning yet? Um, I'm at the, like this, like research stage, man. I, I, I want to set up a node, but even then it's like, I don't even know what I would do with it. I guess the so, Toshi place, but like, I don't, I don't really care about the Toshi place. Um, well, I, don't, I was going to say, we could, we could do some, uh, great we, we could do some experiments with it. Cause I know you're, you're doing stuff with, with the uh, Bitcoins and bit crops and stuff like that. Uh, adding in, you know, maybe you're, you you have ideas with you know the token grants you access to certain features and capabilities, but you know payments. Let's say you want to start doing stuff where it's like, hey, if you literally pay point zero zero you know zero zero one Bitcoin, you know, which is let's say like a hundredth of a penny or something, then you can do this and you can do it as many times as you want. So I think you know I just 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 kind of running some kind of fun thing with it. You, you might, you might, uh, you might, you might really like it. I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm being like the old man Bitcoiner, but like, I'm kind of set my ways a little bit, but like, I'm, I think about it a lot. Um, it's just like, I know that if I when I start pulling on that thread, it goes like so deep. And, uh, I don't, I don't think I would come out of that hole. So <laughs> I don't know. I kind of like keep myself away from some topics because I have other things to do. Like I have other things I'm working on with like some kind of party stuff. And like, a, there's like a list of features I want to like code and I want to get those out of the way before I like, and like unload that from my memory space, you know, when I like clear out the RAM. You don't want to start too many projects at once. I got you. Well, I mean, because it's like different languages, different models, different logic. It's it's hard to keep that those that many abstract models that are that complicated like overlayered at the same time. Well, you know, um, have you ever used Ansible? Ansible, no. Yeah, maybe like what I'll try to do is uh, make like an Ansible script, which pretty much is just like a provisioning tool, where it's like, hey, you put in some parameters. That, that, that you want and then it will go and just provision your node for you and you know set everything up for you well there's people that are already that are already working on that i've seen that um, there's like the btc pay server guy that's like uh forking bitpay nicholas dorier i believe is working on something like that and i think maybe maybe pierre rochard's working on something like that so look those up um Right. Michael, is uh, is there anything else you'd like to say? I want to wrap it up. I think this is a really, I think we ended up talking about lightning more than anything. And I think what we've established is that I need to code something with it. <laughs> yeah, you need to start accepting lightning payments so I can, I can, it's easy to spend. I would say at least, at least download the Eclair wallet and uh, and look at it because uh, it's actually really easy to spend uh, Lightning Bitcoin. So I have to go to like Mordor though to get my Bitcoins. Oh, okay. Well, what I do is uh, is uh, I steal Bitcoin from little children on the street of Atlanta and then uh, just use their Bitcoin. So 
Well, that's, that's a great place to leave it, I think. Thank you, Michael Tidwell, for being on the first bit sesh. Bitch, please. Hashtag bitch, please. Um, and thanks for tuning in. If Remember, if you want to be on the show, it's easy. Call 1-88-OK-COINS. Thank you very much. All right, bye. All right, and we set a low. I set a low bar for everyone, so no, no, no one should be intimidated to be on your show now. Girl, in the eyes of my inner child, like a bee.